Soggy 16 presents. Welcome back to On Location, the shows where members of our awesome community share with us some of the diverse experiences they've had in their worlds of photography. On this week's show, we're going to hear from Paul Friday, who will be talking about his experiences with underwater photography, something I know absolutely nothing about. Paul's going to talk to us about some of the cameras he's used and some tips, tricks and truly terrible puns. You have been warned. Enjoy this deep dive. My name is Paul Friday and I'm a scuba diving photographer. So this episode is about taking pictures in and underwater, as if just taking pictures wasn't hard enough. I've wanted to be able to take pictures underwater for a long time. It all began back in the distant past when I was young and dinosaurs could still get drunk for a farthing. I was that stringy little kid with the mask and snorkel who spent so long in the water at the seaside that he went blue. I used to huddle under a towel in the sunshine until I stopped shivering and then go back in and do it all again. That was my introduction to a lifetime of self-abuse. I'll I'll explain. Anyway, fast forward to an older me, no wiser. I was a university student with a proper SLR camera and I was going on holiday to a place that had warm water. None of you gap year, this was paid for by working in a paper mill. Warm water meant colourful fish and I had a camera. What could possibly go wrong? I don't know if you've ever seen one, but I bought uh, Iwa Marine camera housing. Uh, they'll be like, this is basically a strong plastic bag with a glass window sealed into the side and a glove fixed so that it protrudes inside the bag. Think that. You put your camera inside the bag and arrange it so it looks out through the glass panel. Then you close and seal the top. Then you put your hand into the glove so you can work the camera because back in the bad old days there was no autofocus and cameras had to be wound on after each shot. But for all its crude simplicity, the Ewer housing was a great device. They still make them, uh, but it's only got two limitations really. The first was buoyancy. It could be hard to get below the surface with a bag of air in your hand. The second was squeeze. If you did get most of the air out before you sealed the housing, or if you went deeper than a few metres, the housing compressed. It could, did squeeze my camera hard enough to make focusing difficult. So there was always a worry that the glass panel would crack. It didn't, and I'm sure it never has. But it could and did squeeze the camera. The newer ones are probably better at this than the one I had. Even so, it did great service for snorkeling. I'm sure in the hands of a lesser idiot, one of these will work just fine for shallow dives. Anyway, marching on. When my kids were young, at different times, I had a couple or three of these pool-capable waterproof cameras. They were mostly awful, except for a rather marvellous Canon SureShot A1. This was a great camera, and it scratched my wet itch for a couple of years until I broke it. (laughs) Pay attention, this is a pattern that will repeat. In this case, it was age more than you'd misuse, because the locking butt catch on the back of the camera disintegrated. I still have some similar cameras capable of the wet and wild, but I'll come to that in a bit. So the next thing was that my casual snorkeling habit got serious, and I learned a scuba dive. I wanted a camera that could go deeper than a couple of metres. Most photographers have heard of gas, 
divers suffer with gasp. This is what you do when you ask the price of a basic diving camera outfit. There's the camera, that's a given. Then the lens, preferably very wide angle. I'll tell you why in a bit. Then it needs to be in a housing to keep the water out. This can cost more than the camera. Uh, my pal's video camera housing, on its own, costs more than my car. On my basic diving qualification, I can dive to 30 metres. At that depth, the housing's under 3 bar of pressure, or roughly 44 pounds per square inch. That's more than a car tyre. So every camera control that needs a connection from the outside of the housing to the inside needs sealing. The housing also needs to be capable of opening to get the camera in and out. So that's a lot of truss you have to place in O-rings, which is why housings are expensive. So, got your camera, got your housing, what else? Lighting. Water is pretty good at diffusing sunlight. Or if you dive in the UK, then water is good at blocking sunlight completely. Water also filters the spectrum unequally. Red light's blocked first, so past a couple of metres, the world's orthochromatic. Everything can look very much the same shade of dull green. I'm making this sound attractive, aren't I? It, it, it's only when you shine a torch around that the colours jump. There's so little red light at depth that the colour red is actually camouflage. It looks black. It can be a surprise to shine a torch at a black fish or a grey starfish and have them flash vividly into the scarlet. So, your camera needs a light. Ideally, light's plural. Flash used to be the choice, as it packs a lot of light and it freezes motion. Continuous LED lights are getting better, and make it a lot easier to frame your subject and focus. Like most divers, I tend to carry a spare of most things, so I usually have a quite powerful narrow beam LED torch, the kind of thing that lets you fill in the shadows on a crescent moon, and a, a 20 LED soft light panel or block that gives a good general illumination and is powerful enough to shoot macro without flash. So your basic kit for going deeper than a couple of metres could include a, a, a torch or an LED block. So, you've got your lights. Then we hit the next problem. Most water is not gin. There is generally a haze of silts and other muck in the water, and a lot worse in swimming pools. If you mount your light directly on the camera, you light up the dirt in the water. It's like taking pictures in a snowstorm. So the trick is to get as close as you can to the subject and point your light or lights in from the sides. The ideal is to have the light shine on the subject with no spillover into the water between the lens and the subject. You want to be shooting through dark water. Ideally what you want is two lights pointing in from the sides with their beams crossing at the subject. Ignore Ghostbusters. As an odd to aid, I've tried lighting modifiers uh, by typing some bits of plastic to my lights to act as barn doors, but they got in the way. What you really need is more arms. So rather than praying to Darwin, we buy a plate that screws to the tripod fitting on the housing and has one or two jointed arms. The flash or the lights go on the ends of the arms. The diver tries to arrange things so that the beams meet at the point of focus of the lens. The diver also tries to avoid getting tangled in the whole mess. It can be like an octopus with rigor mortis. So this is where your wide angle lens comes in, which I mentioned earlier. Uh, you want to get very close so that you can minimise the amount of water between you and your subject. This means wide angle. But there's another fly in this soup, and that's diffraction. 
If your lens is looking out from the camera housing through a flat glass port, then there is a difference in refractive index between the water and the air inside the housing. The light coming into the camera changes direction as it crosses from water to air. So this has the effect of making the field of view of the lens smaller. A 35mm lens, for example, ends up with a field of view of roughly a 50mm. However wide you start, it shrinks a bit. That's cold water for you. Anyway, there are several ways to fix this. One of them is obviously not filling the housing with water. The first way is to use a very, very wide angle lens. So you get back what you lost. But you might run into problems at the edges of the frame just because you're looking through that flat glass port. The centre of the lens looks straight out, but the sides are looking through increasingly oblique glass. It's not a problem for lenses down to around the 35mm range, but it can be if you go wider. Now, the solution to that is to use a dome port. This is a big, bowl-shaped transparent cover instead of a flat glass plate. These are great, and they retain the full angle of view of your lens. All of the light coming through hits the surface of the port at 90 degrees, so there's no changing diffraction across the field of view. Except that the dome port acts as a lens in its own right. It's like a big meniscus lens. This means that you don't focus on the subject, but on the virtual image created by the domed port. The curvature of the port ideally needs to be matched to your lens, and the lens has to be able to focus very close indeed because that virtual image can be quite close to the front element. But it works, and you'll see a lot of clever diving photographers kitted out with what looks like bulging fisheye lenses and several flash guns on jointed arms. The children will be barefoot and hungry, but given the choice, I can see why. The third option is wet lenses. Back in the film days, the king of underwater work was the Nikonos camera. Nikon made lenses for it that were corrected to be in direct contact with the water on their front element. No housing, no port, no diffraction issues. The leader of the pack was a 15mm. But before you go and hit eBay, let me describe the experience of using film underwater. Take that Nikonos 15mm lens. It was ideal for macro work, as you could get very close and still have enough background for context. You can even fit waterproof extension tubes so you got closer still. But the Nikonos camera was a viewfinder design, you don't look through the lens. That's fine normally, the 15mm lens has got a matching accessory viewfinder. But this isn't accurate enough for macro work. So you would fit a frame or prongs in front of the lens. This was basically a marker for where the plane of focus would fall. You set it up on the surface before the dive, so the framer matches the lens and where it's focused. Underwater, you place the frame around your willing subject, adjust it back and forth to get, say, the eye sharp, and took the picture. You'd be surprised how many fish don't like having a frame placed around them. It also meant that once the camera was set up with lens, framer, lights, etc., you couldn't alter it underwater. If you were out photographing nudibranchs, uh, which is not much fun as it sounds, basically slugs in pretty frocks, and a blue whale slips by, all you can do is wave. Incidentally, where would you weigh a whale? How about a whaleway station? Anyway, uh, there was another way of doing things uh, with wet lenses used by C and C and some other companies. And these were swappable wet lenses. 
C and C, which is, is, is like ocean twice, not the letter C twice, made supplementary lenses that fitted to their cameras with a standard bayonet and converted the fitted lens to macro or wide angle. And they could get back the field of view that you lost. The good thing about these is that you can swap them underwater as they're an external clip-on. The bad thing about these is dropping them underwater or finding you've got a bubble trapped between the wet lens and the camera. Ask me how I know. But these supplementary lenses can be great on one of the simple cameras that can take them. So, got your camera and your housing, some arms, some lights and a lens that can see behind itself. We're ready. Maybe. What are you going to take pictures of? Little critters means macro. Big critters means bigger lights or a longer lens. Doing both means using a camera that can. And hush tones that may not mean analogue. Even so, over the years, I've, I've had variable success using film cameras underwater. Most of the amateur level ones are getting a bit long in the tooth these days if you buy them second hand. I had a, a Minolta weathermatic for a while, but that died too. In this case, it wasn't flooding, but old age and hard use, which is what I aspire to myself. Um, so if you're looking at waterproof film cameras, there are several models of CNC's motor marine range uh, on the usual place. But be warned, I bought I had a motor marine EX2 on paper. It was a much cheaper version of the mighty Nikonos. It's got a 35mm lens. It will take extra wet lenses. It's got a clever flash gun. It might be able to do flash auto exposure. I'm not sure. In use, it was hard work. It was difficult to read the tiny settings dials. It was difficult to frame the subject. You can't easily get a viewfinder up to your eye when you're wearing a diving mask. I bought one because it was cheap and because I wanted to start learning. I figured that by at least trying, I would find out what I really needed. What I found I really needed was, I'm afraid to say, digital. I needed autofocus and auto exposure and being able to go from macro to zoom without surfacing. And I really needed that little screen on the back, both for framing and to confirm focus. So I bought a little Canon PowerShot digital compact and housing for less than I sold the motor marine for. It worked really well. We were dive buddies. We were in love. Then it flooded. This is an occupational hazard for divers and can be caused by a grain of sand or a hair caught in the big O-ring that seals the back of the housing. This is why we buy second hand. So eBay supplied a replacement camera to go in the housing, which I then sold after cleaning the O-ring and testing it. So the, the same online tap market then turned up a pair of Canon PowerShot 850 compacts with the housing. Why two cameras? Yeah, because diving. The saying is two is one, one is none. You, you always carry at least one spare for anything important, so you've got one left when the first one breaks. So this brace of Canoni were jumped eight whole megapixels and actually served very well. They've done sterling service and I'm still using them. They're small, which makes the housing small. This gives me less to fight with in the water. The rear screen means I can handle the camera the way I like best, one-handed. This is nothing to do with my confessed self-abuse and everything to do with using the camera underwater. If I can hold the camera out at arm's length, I can get closer to small critters before scaring them. 
I can get the camera into places I can't get my head or body, such as under rocks or flat against the bottom. I can also turn a point much more quickly than if I was trying to move my whole body. The example here is, is diving with grey seals off the Farne Islands, which is like a mixture of Formula One and hide and seek. You'll be framing up a seal, relaxing in the kelp, when you realise another one's chewing on your fins. If you can't turn fast, you missed it. And since I've already turned to the dark side with digital, I should probably mention video as well. When the cheap GoPro type action cameras arrived with underwater housings, we all dived in. Huh. These were good enough, small enough to fit in the pocket and good enough for reasonable quality video. Quality's good enough that I've used frames grabbed from the video as stills. The only thing they lack are any form of zoom or focusing. But since they usually have very wide-angle lenses, they're great. I admit to being an early adopter, um, and I use a Contour Rome camera in their own housing. It doesn't have a viewfinder or playback screen, as it's meant to be helmet-mounted. So I use a bit of plastic water pipe attached to the side of the housing as a framer. If I hold the camera at arm's length and look through the pipe, that's my framing. I also use an old L-shaped flash bracket to hold the waterproof LED light and give me a decent grip. The whole setup fits into the thigh pocket of my dry suit, so it's not a liability when I do need both hands. This setup's been excellent for filming seals, including one that tried to eat the camera. Oh, and turn the sound off if you're actually diving. All it will pick up is your breathing, so you'll end up with what sounds like one of Darth Vader's home movies. So, with all that, and having nearly achieved success through digital nirvana, what could I do next but make things harder again? So I, I succumbed to another cheap motormarine camera, uh, an MX-10 this time. This is basically a yellow plastic brick with a potato masher flash gun attached. Fixed focus, one shutter speed, vary the aperture to suit conditions or flash. I use a card rangefinder that I laminated to get the distance right, and I load forgiving film like color negative or XP2. And it works surprisingly well. Boy, does now, the first one flooded. The seawater then shorted the winding motor, and the camera sadly wound out all the film as it gradually died. When I got home and took it apart, even the shutter was rusty. Anyway, I got another one from the usual place for £3, and this has not flooded yet, and has taken some great snaps in Cape and Ray, which is a flooded quarry that we northern folk use when the sea's too warm and inviting. Somewhere along the line, I also bought the true king of wet analogue photography, the Nikonos 5. It came with the dedicated flash that was metered through the lens, close-up extension tubes, close-up framer. It was the pinnacle of deepness. It was also so slow and difficult to use underwater that I'm afraid I sold it again. The 35mm lens on it is great for surface use, but it's attached to a tank so it isn't ideal for walking about. For recording the zombie apocalypse, great! A Nikonos swag on a strap will win most encounters with the undead. So instead, I bought a better compact camera and housing. The little 8 megapixel Canon 850s were good, but I did eventually hit their limits. So now I've got a second-hand Canon G9 plus a housing. This has got 12 megapixels, and it will record things like raw files 
and it will do other tricks like second curtain flash. The lens has got loads of barrel distortion at the wide end of the zoom, but you can't see that in underwater shots. It also plays a lot better with an external flash gun with flash trigger than the old cannons did, which is much better than using the direct internal flash. Any day now I'm going to be allowed out of the house again and I'll get a chance to use it properly. By the way, do I have a thing going for compact Canon digital cameras? You betcha. Uh, it's, it's all due to there being a software hacking kit available for them. Canon tended to reuse their top-end processors and sensors and turn off some of the functions for the lesser models in the range. The hack kit lets you turn all the functions back on again. So when my compact cameras aren't swimming, they're doing things like time-lapse and motion sensing. I know it's not analogue, but it's fun and I've been indoors too long. So, enough of the blather. What's the punchline? If you fancy having a go, start small and cheap, so you can learn on something you can afford to break. If you're going to be in the usual sea, surf, pool, beach, anything that claims to be waterproof will do the job. If you're actually diving, the camera or housing will have a depth rating. Anything that's good for 30 to 40 metres will probably do the job for amateur divers. If you go deeper than that, you don't need me to tell you what to do. Incidentally, depth ratings. You can trust the rating of a camera or a housing for diving. They're true. Most watches, other than true diving watches, lie. I had a fancy watch that claimed it was good for 100 metres actually implode on me when I got to 20 metres. It turns out that 100 metre rating meant it was okay to wear in the shower. Go and look it up. It's a crime. It's like saying your car can get to the moon, if by that you really mean you can get to the top of the hill. So rant over. So, take a look at the Ewa uh, or Iwa Marine housings. You can put your existing camera in, or buy one of the rugged little compact cameras that will stand a shallow dip. I've got one that I use on the boat, because it can take a splash without breaking. By all means, look at the CNC analogue cameras. They're dirt, sand, mud... Probably bulletproof, so withstand a British winter. Just don't pay a lot for one. So, all of the stuff I've said makes this sound really hard, but it's not. It's easy to get started and try this out, but it is hard to do it well. That's the pleasure I keep telling myself. But to get started, just jump in the water and have a go. Saying that, swimming safely is more important than taking pictures, so don't jump in with something like an anchor wrapped in TV aerials until you can spare the attention, or get trained. Trained is good. Uh, you don't have to dive deep to take pictures. Fish like sunshine too. And we do most of our diving with seals in, in three to four metres of water. You can stand up sometimes. And for all the years between shivering on the beach and proper scuba diving, I just used a mask and snorkel. A bit silly in the bath, but you, you can never be over-prepared, can you? Uh, you can take pictures in the pool on holiday, if you can remember those. Just take pictures of your own kids and don't get creepy about it. But I know you won't. And the first time you get a picture of things you can't see on the surface, prepare to be addicted. I have a photo of a lobster eating a jellyfish. I have a picture of an octopus peering out of the hole it's hiding in. I have a picture of the entire visible seabed covered in a carpet of starfish. I have a picture of a seal playing peekaboo from behind my buddy. 
I'm going back in, even if I get through more cameras and pictures. Thanks for listening. Oh, and another thing. We know where you weigh a whale. Where would you weigh a pie? Somewhere over the rainbow. Sorry. Thank you so much, Paul, for doing that for us. You'll find links to some of the things that Paul was talking about in the show notes. Uh, it certainly inspired me to take one of the two, actually, underwater cameras I own and maybe try and do something with them next time I go on holiday, whenever that may be. If this has inspired you to maybe create something for Sunny16 Presents on location, then please drop us a line with your idea at sunny16presents at gmail.com and we will do everything we can to help make that happen. A huge thank you as always to our coffee supporters for making the Sunny16 Presents channel possible and thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>